If you are new to Rooftop, usually uh, before we preach, we show a clip as a way to kind of connect some things we're familiar with with maybe uh, some things from the Bible that we're not usually uh, connected to. But this morning, I chose that clip from Dr. Strange. And if you're familiar with the story, you know. If not, let me catch up real quick. Dr. Strange, his name is Stephen Strange, and he is a guy who has life all figured out. He's a doctor in New York. He's invested his life in becoming the best surgeon in the world. He's, a social, he's on top of the social ladder. He's the man. He's got money. He's got career fame. He's done all the right things. He's looked in all the right directions. He's He's made it count. He's invested everything in the right place. And then something happens in his life. He gets in a car accident. He can no longer be a doctor. And the world he thought he knew gets thrown upside down. He gets a promise that he can get his life back. He can get healed. So he goes and he visits this strange temple. And in a moment, he's pushed out of his physical body into the astral plane. And he, for the first time, begins to see that Maybe the world isn't as ordered. Maybe it's not the way he thought it was. Maybe there's a whole new world, a whole, all new possibilities. And more importantly, he sees himself in a different way. And in that moment, he kind of has a little bit of an awakening. And I wonder if you've ever had a similar situation in your life, not that you've traveled to Nepal and gotten your astral plane knocked out of your physical body, but have you ever had a moment where you just kind of look around and you think, how did I get here? Maybe you find yourself, maybe you found yourself at a place you never thought you were, right? Maybe you did all the things you were supposed to do. You invested in all the right areas. You gave yourselves to all the right things, but life didn't really work out the way you thought it was going to. Or perhaps something even more a little unsettling. Have you ever had that moment where you woke up and you had a realization that maybe you weren't who you thought you were? Maybe you had a moment where I mean, I'm not the spouse I thought I was. Maybe I'm not the parent that I thought I was. For me, you know, maybe I'm not the pastor that I think I am. How do we get to those places? I think that happens because we're so tempted and easily swayed to look for wisdom and insight in the wrong places. Dr. Strange thought it was in being the best surgeon he could be, going to school, doing all the stuff, investing. If you know the story, it all changes. But maybe for us, right, we, we think we know what we're supposed to do. We, we trust that if we do this stuff, it'll all work out. But it comes to turn out that maybe we were trusting in the wrong things. Maybe we were, we were taking our cues on life from bad sources. And this morning, Jesus is going to show us that maybe that's you. Maybe there's areas of your life where you realize, man, I've been really investing in this and this isn't really helpful. Or maybe you realize maybe I'm not who I thought I was. Jesus this morning is going to help us get back on track. And to do that, he's going to lay out, he's going to teach us. He's going to show us what the problem is. He's going to show us a solution. And then he's going to explain why we should trust that solution. So before we dive into that first one, let's look at the passage together. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 
7, starting in verse 6, where it says this, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who receives, everyone who asks, sorry, receives. The one who seeks, finds. To the one who, knock, who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your sons ask for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? So Jesus starts out with the problem, right? Don't give to dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. This is a challenging passage. If you have your Bible with you, uh, in different Bibles, verse 6 is actually sometimes put in different places. Sometimes it's attached to the part that Matt preached on last week about judgment. Uh, in the Bible that I read, it kind of stands off by itself. It's kind of like, we don't really know what to do with this, so we're just going to put some spaces and stick it. And here's this. And then in other, verse, in other translations, it's actually attached to the passages that we're going to preach through this morning. Maybe if you grew up in church, you're familiar with this passage. Uh, but maybe it's been explained to you that, okay, don't cast your, don't give the dogs what is sacred, pearls to pigs. That, that's a little strange. What is that? Maybe if you grew up in church, a lot of ways this has been translated or taught as don't preach the gospel to people who aren't ready to receive it. And to be honest, I, there's people infinitely smarter than me who think that's the right translation. So... Okay, but to me, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It seems to really come out of left field, right? If you've been going through this sermon series with us, what's Jesus been doing? Chapter six, the beginning of chapter seven, he's been talking about life, right? He's talked about piety. He's talked about money. He's talked about things that give us anxiety. He's talked about judgments. He's talked about the issues of life. And now all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we kind of get this passage on uh, don't give to pigs, don't give to dogs, don't preach the gospel to people. It just doesn't seem to fit, especially coming after last week where we're not supposed to be judgmental. Now we're calling people pigs and dogs. What does this mean? Well, there's some figurative language here, so let's talk about it briefly. Don't give to dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. There's two images there, right? Dogs and pigs. During this time, what Jesus is referencing are Gentiles, and in particular, the Roman oppressors. So if you don't know, Rome was in charge. Rome set the rules. Rome crafted the world in which these people lived. Now, that's a derogatory name for them. They were, you know, considered unclean. They were particularly vicious. Dogs during this time were not uh, domestic pets. They were wild and would often attack. So Jesus is talking about these Gentile rulers, and they've created a world, and Jesus is saying, don't give to them sacred things. Don't give to them things like your piety. Don't give to them things like your worship. Don't give to them precious things like pearls. Well, what's he mean by this? Well, Rome set the stage, right? Rome made the rules. 
And if you lived in this oppressive regime, there was a temptation. Well, we got to, this is the world they've made. We have to kind of get on in it. And the way to get ahead in it is to just kind of do what they say. And there were two reactions to this. One reaction was just total capitulation, right? The, the leaders of Jerusalem during this time just kind of went along, whatever the Romans want. If they wanted to go into the temple that they weren't supposed to go into, they let them go into the temple. There's a lot of compromise. But the other extreme was, let's revolt. Let's murder them. That's also very Roman. Let's use physical force. Jesus is saying, don't trust these things to this world. Don't look to them for wisdom. Don't look to them on how to live life. And we live in some ways in a very similar situation, right? We don't live under an oppressive government, right? We don't call our politicians dogs and pigs. Maybe some of you do. If you maybe think about it next time before you do that, but but we live in America. We live in a culture. We live in a kingdom in a world that sets the tone. And we have a choice. Do we, who do we take our cues from? This is what Jesus is talking about. Because he's saying, don't trust those things because those, they will trample those sacred things. They will turn and devour you. Rome eventually turned and devoured the nation of Israel, wiping them out. 30 years after Jesus' death, they march in. They tear down the temple, the sacred place. And we face some of this too, right? To trust in this world as it's set up. But oftentimes it does what? It turns around and tramples us, tears us to pieces. Think about the things that, that set the world in which you live. Think about things like advertising. We are unknowingly just bombarded with messages on how to get ahead in the world. You're going to drive home whichever way you drive. And there's going to be billboard after billboard. You're going to get on your phone to watch a YouTube video. There's going to be an ad. You're going to watch football this afternoon. And if you don't have Red Zone, you're going to watch a commercial. What are these? They're set up to tell you how to live the good life. But even by its own nature, what does advertising do? It is enforcing that, guess what? Your life is not complete unless you have this thing. So we invest in that. Or think about something like politics, right? Think of how much time and effort we invest in these things. In the late 70s, early 80s, a bunch of Christians got together and said, you know what, if we could just all Christians get together and vote in the right candidates, we'll save America, right? We'll bring heaven to earth. That's what was told was the way to do it. And why politics are important, why politics matter, yes, absolutely, are Hope is not in those. Our sacred things, our time, our talent, our treasure, our emotions aren't vested there. Jesus said the kingdom's not going to come by getting the right people in place. It's going to come by by doing things like the Sermon on the Mount, loving your enemy. So in a lot of ways, evangelicalism trusted in that, let's get the right people elected. And what's happened? The culture in some ways has turned on us. Generations are leaving church seemingly in wholesale because we put our sacred hope and trust in wrong things. Let me bring it down maybe another level. Maybe you're a middle schooler or high schooler. 
this isn't the 11 o'clock, but I'm assuming there's some middle schoolers and high schoolers in here. Maybe not. Um, 8 a.m. there was. They were shouting me down. Maybe you're a middle schooler or a high schooler. What does the world tell you you need to be investing in? What does the world tell you that you need to get ahead, to have the good life, to be successful? Well, it's probably things like you got to have the right clothes, right? You got to have the right outfit. You got to have the right experiences. You got to go to the right places. You got to be friends with the right people. I remember being a youth pastor. There was a big push that you got to have the right social media presence, right? You got to have every app that there is. It's got to look perfect. But that's a small little thing that if we're not careful, we can turn out giving our sacred things to. Think about something like Instagram, right? When I was a youth pastor, you know, if kids didn't have Instagram, they were seen as like weird, right? Like you don't have Instagram. That's weird. It seems doesn't seem weird, right? Instagram's fun. Instagram helps you connect with others. I mean, listen to how they describe themselves. We are committed to fostering a safe and supportive community for everyone. Well, it seems like it makes sense. Nothing wrong with that. But listen to what the reality of Instagram is. This is from the American Psychological Association. Studies have linked Instagram to depression, body image concerns, self-esteem issues, social anxiety, and other problems. Listen to this. By design, the app capitalizes on users' biological drive for social belonging and nudges them to keep scrolling. So what does Instagram do? It pro- Listen, I'm not saying you got to all go delete Instagram. Maybe if you're in high school, middle school, or maybe you need to. But this is what it does. You have, God-given, a drive to belong, to connect to a community. The Bible tells you God's designed for that. It's in loving and serving one another. Instagram takes that same drive, but instead produces depression, body image concerns, self-esteem issues, social anxiety. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about, middle schooler or high schooler. The world tells you, the people in charge tell you, invest here. Focus here. But the more you do that, the more it is slowly destroying you. That happens all the time. So where do we go to find Wisdom. Where do we go to invest our life, the sacred things, those, the pearls of our life? Where do we invest those things? Well, God's going to tell us. Here's the solution. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. Jesus says the solution is turning to God for wisdom to live life. Acknowledging and seeing God as the source of wisdom and life is a theme throughout the entire Bible. James chapter 1 verse 5 says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. James saying, ask for wisdom. Romans chapter 11 talks about God being the source of wisdom. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom of and knowledge of God. Makes sense, right? God created this world. He gave it its form, its function. He knows how human beings are built. He knows what's best for them. 
In fact, that's part of what Jesus meant when he said, I have come that they may have life. Jesus came into a world dominated and ruled by sin and death. And yes, part of his mission was to be a sacrifice, to break the power those things had over us 100%. But also part of his mission was to show us how to live life as God intended. Most of us kind of get stuck in that. We only see Jesus' life as kind of like a dress rehearsal for the cross, right? Well, he did all the right stuff. He hit all the lines. He didn't make a mistake. He's perfect. Now he can die. We don't look at it and say, no, that's what wisdom looks like. That's what human flourishing looks like. So Jesus is saying the solution to where to put your important things is seeking wisdom from God. Now, here's one thing that I am always blown away when I think about God is it would just be enough for God to say that, right? For the God of the universe to say, don't do this, do this, right? I mean, that's my parenting, right? <laughs> don't do this, do this. But God explains why we can trust him. He shows us, he gives us the explanation as to why we should trust him. And to do that, he points to a picture of something that's common to all of us, fathers. Look at this next part. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? Now, I know talking about fathers is not easy for everyone. Some of you might have had great fathers. Some of you might have had distant, aloof, maybe even downright wicked fathers. I hate that for you. God hates that for you. But we can't ignore the illustration. He says we can trust God because of our fathers. Now, what's he talking about? Well, I'm a dad. I'm a father. I have two little girls. I love them to death, but I am human. I get frustrated. There are some nights when I get home and I'm counting down the hours until bedtime. Sometimes I'm distracted. I'm not present with them, right? Sometimes I just want to be left alone and look on my phone. I have my kids. Dad, let's hang out. Little sorry girls have to watch Tennessee get beat by 30 tonight. Uh, watch our quarterback go down and literally torture myself instead of spending time with you. Sorry. I'm broken and fallible and just want to be left alone sometimes. And even, <laughs> there you go. But even I, in all of that, there's something in me that knows how to give a good gift. And now what's funny in the illustration, the good gift is literally just not something that will kill them. He who asks for bread will give him a stone. He who asks for fish will give him a snake. That's the bare minimum. And even I, in my brokenness, can figure out the bare minimum. And if I can do that, how much more a being of pure love how much more can a God of love do for me? In the book of Romans, there's a passage in chapter 8, verse 32, says this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? You can go to God for wisdom because he's already done the hardest thing he had to do. Give his own son 
to break the power of sin, to die for us. If he can do that, then he wants to give us wisdom. Now, I don't know if you've been tracking with me here, but this is a good time to mention that when we read this passage, verse 8, for everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, to the one who knocks the door will be open, it might feel like that's just a blank check. That's one of those verses people sometimes will say, well, prayer doesn't work. Look, Jesus says this, but I don't get it. But remember, what Jesus is talking about here is wisdom. If you ask, seek, knock for wisdom, it will be given to you. That's what the promise is. It's that God wants to give you wisdom for life, not give you the things that you want. And God bless him for doing that. I have daughters. Sometimes they ask for things that I know is not good for them. I don't just give it over. I say, oh, maybe that's not what's best for you right now. I experienced this when I was graduating college. I was getting a history degree. Uh, later in college, I felt this call to ministry. I wanted to be a pastor. It's kind of all I wanted to do. Later half of college. So I did an internship after college. I was praying, Lord, I want to be a pastor. I mean, of course, you're going to give this to me, right? This is like perfect. Like, of course. I interned at a church. Great experience. End of the summer, they're talking about bringing me on staff. I'm praying, Lord, thank you. This is great. But for reasons unknown to me, that job kind of fell through there at the end. And won't go into all the details, but thank God that it did. He said no to that. Although I'm like, well, wait, this, what, I'm called to do this. They want me to do this. It's perfect. He said no to that. And instead, he made me an elementary school teacher for three years. And I'll tell you what, like in the moment, it felt like so confusing. Like, oh, okay, I guess I'll do this. What's going on? But I, looking back, I would not trade those three years for anything. I loved it. I learned so much more about life and human beings and relationships and education and what it's like growing up in poverty and government and systems. I learned so much over those three years. God gave me wisdom. He gave me what I needed. He knew more than I did. So this isn't just a blank check to get what you want, but it's a blank check to get wisdom anytime you want it. Because he's a good father and he loves to give this to us. So how do we acquire wisdom? How do we take maybe a step back and we look and we say, okay, I see that I've been trusting in this thing. I see it's maybe slowly destroying me. I see it's in opposition to the life of Jesus. So I need to kind of maybe turn my focus to how can I get this wisdom? Well, he tells us. In verse 8, he gives us three verbs to help us understand this. Now, before I reveal them, they all revolve around the theme of effort. Now, this is hard, okay? It's going to take effort. It's going to take work on my end to get wisdom. It's not going to just get downloaded into my brain like Neo in the Matrix, right? Where he wants to learn Kung Fu. They put the chip in there. Boom, I know Kung Fu. It's not going to work that way. Why? Is it because 
God's a cruel father who wants to sit back and dangle it and say, ooh, you have to ask four days in a row, then I'll give it to you. Let me see if you really mean it. No, of course not. We live in such a broken world that is set up to choke out wisdom. It's set up to make us think that God's ways are arcane and old and foolish. And you can't trust that book. You can't trust God's people. You can't trust God. There's so much of that. It's going to take a lifetime to gain the wisdom that we need. But listen to what Proverbs 4 says. Get wisdom and understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of this is wisdom. Oh, sorry. The beginning of wisdom is this. That's so funny. Get wisdom. Here we go. Though it costs you all you have. As my football coach would say in high school, we're going to have to get after it to get wisdom. So what's it look like? All right. Chapter 8 or verse 8. He gives us three verbs. Ask, seek, knock. First, we're going to have to ask for wisdom. This is an aspect of prayer. Around here we talk about prayer this way. Communication with our God, the source and goal for all of life. We're made to commune with God. So we're going to have to ask him for wisdom on how to live life. And this is a kicker. You're going to have to desire wisdom so much that you'll maybe reorganize your life and create space where you can commune with God. But you do this in every other area of your life, right? If you're a high school senior, you're about to go off to college, what are you going to do? You're going to gear the next four years of your life around going to class and gaining wisdom, gaining on how to live life. You should do that. That's a good thing. But are you willing to also set aside your life hour here, minute here, car ride here, morning routine here, where you can ask God for wisdom. But you don't have to worry about it being a shaky investment, right? You don't have to worry about it. Well, if I pray, is God really going to give it to me? Yes. This is what Jesus is saying. Yes. He's a good father who's not counting down the minutes till you go to bed. He's, he wants you to ask. Second, we need to Seek. Now, this is an aspect of gaining wisdom that's particularly challenging for us um, because we're really good, I think, at kind of God's direct influence in our lives, right? Well, wisdom's in the Bible, so we read the Bible, that's wisdom, let's go do it. But sometimes we're hesitant to receive kind of secondary or indirect forms of teaching and wisdom from other human beings around us. We doubt the wisdom of others, right? If you're a teenager, you think old people don't know anything. If you're an old person, you think young people are lazy, right? It just goes on and on and on. We constantly doubting each other. But this is what's beautiful about the church. There's so much collective wisdom at Rooftop. Not because we're special, not because we figured anything out, but because God loves us. There's probably not a topic you are going to face in life that the collective lives of Rooftop could not speak into. But once again, it's going to take effort. You're going to have to seek it out. You're going to have to 
get into a small group. You're going to have to go to a men's breakfast. You're going to have to go to women's retreat. You're going to have to connect with people and be able to talk and say, hey, I need wisdom for life. And then thirdly, we have to knock. Uh, This literally means in the Greek (laughs) to beat on a door. This is talking about persistence. You're going to have to keep praying. You're going to have to keep having repeated conversations with people. That's what knocking is. It's praying. It's keep having conversations with people. He wants to give you this wisdom and to and to talk about it in another way. Jesus actually teaches this in a separate place in the book of Luke. And before he kind of talks about the passages that we talked about, in the beginning of it, he gives another illustration about what it looks like to seek God for wisdom. Luke chapter 11, verse 5. This is what he says. Listen. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, right? Did you catch that? (laughs) Even though you have a really good friend, he won't give you what you need just based on your relationship. He'll only do it because you're psycho and you knock on the door and you beat it down and you won't leave him alone. What what's you saying? How much more a good father? How much more a good friend? So we keep asking. So we keep seeking. So we keep knocking. Why? Because God wants to, we just got to prove it? No, because we know. Because we know that when we acquire this wisdom, we'll grow in ways that deep down on the inside, you've really always desired. But in reality, you never thought it possible. Maybe, as I mentioned this morning, you feel stuck in life, right? You feel overwhelmed. You feel confused. How did I get there? Or how did I get here? What's going on? There's good news for us this morning. There is a father. There is a friend who wants to give you life. He wants to pull you away from the thing that you think you need to be investing in. And he wants to show you the way of life. He wants to do that, and that can start this morning. That can start right now. God's wisdom oftentimes does not look like our wisdom. And a perfect picture of that is communion. On the third Sunday of every month, we at Rooftop partake in communion together. We hear the word preached, and then in a real way, we see the word As we take communion together, what do I mean by that? 
What are you investing in? What are you focused on? Where do you take your cues? Paul in the book of Corinthians says, you cannot partake of the table of demons and the table of the Lord. What did he mean by that? This is what he meant by that. Jesus is enough. Communion is a declaration that Jesus, you are enough. You're enough. You're enough to cover my sins. Awesome, incredible, but you're enough for life. You're enough for wisdom. And even in these elements, we get a picture of it, right? Jesus dies. Jesus' body is broken. Jesus' blood is poured out. The world would look at that and say, loss, defeat, bad investment, dumb, failure. But in God's kingdom, that, that was life. And because of that, because of that wisdom, because of that trust, now we partake of that same life. 